Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Barry Stegner, founding and senior pastor at Calvary Central OC, a best-selling author. The new book is The Time of the Signs, a chronology of Earth's final events. And Barry, thanks for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you for having me, Rob. I appreciate it. I want to start with the very basics because a lot of people get confused with the word end times. We've heard talk that we've been in the end times since Jesus' time. So how do we know we're in the end times? Well, I think watching some of the things that are unfolding that line up with Scripture give us an indication that we are at the latter stage of the last days. The interesting thing, I think, when Jesus mentioned in the Olivet Discourse that that nobody knows the day or the hour, uh, he followed that with uh, some very detailed information about what the, uh, the world will look like during that time when the day and hour is scheduled. Uh, he said only the Father knows but the, the days that uh, it will happen will be like those of Noah. And so we can look around and see that the world is filled with violence. The thoughts and intents of man's heart is only evil continually. The world is corrupt before God and all the things that we see described early in Genesis about Noah's days. So I think because of that, those particular parallels and Jesus likening them to the days before the flood, meaning the time before God's global wrath. He gave us very specific and detailed information about what to look for. So I I think that's why we can with confidence say that we are in the latter portion of the last days. Barry, many people are confused by the things that they read in the Bible, and maybe because they're not putting enough time into it. But was it meant to be confusing or or difficult to comprehend, or are we just overcomplicating things? Well, I think part of what goes on is, you know, there's uh, a some want to skip over the Old Testament and just focus on the new as church-age Christians. And, you know, where we have so much, you know, the book of Revelation quotes the Old Testament more than any other New Testament book in the Bible. So, you know, when you've got a, a partial perspective, then that's going to lead you, uh, leave you with holes in the narrative, so to speak. You know, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And therefore, when things are, are confusing to us, we've either got a piece of missing information or they've been miscommunicated. And, you know, with one of the books that people like to stay away from, largely the book of Revelation, it introduces itself in chapter one as a book that contains signs and symbols. You know, so there is symbolic language that is understandable in every age. You know, when you've got anything that is figurative or symbolic, it's always identified with, I saw like something like, you know, or having as if it was. So, you know, if we're, if we're careful to mind, you know, the manner in which the Bible is written and the fact that it does indicate that there are things that uh, have figurative and every generation applicable language, like his voice was like the sound of many waters. 
Now that's something every age could understand. And if we approach it, you know, with a, uh, I think a sound understanding of the whole of scripture, then we can avoid a lot of the confusion we have today. I want to go to the significance of Israel, and you spend a lot of time in the book talking about this, rightfully so. A nation brought back into existence, that's virtually unheard of. Tell us why that's significant. Well, one of the things I think that's important to remember is we've watched these uh, aliyahs begin all the way back in the early 1890s, where Jews began returning to their uh, eternally covenanted national homeland, is that in Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, before the, uh, the dry bones vision and all those things that Ezekiel saw, the Lord told Israel that every day that the Jews, and I'm paraphrasing, that every day that the Jews are outside of their national homeland, his name is being profane because the people of the world are saying, these are God's chosen people and they don't even have their own homeland. He said, so I'm bringing you back for my name's sake. You know, we have to understand that this is God's overall plan. You know, we've got a unfulfilled prophecy from Daniel chapter nine with uh, 77 year periods or 70 heptads, sections of seven. And in this case, it's seven years. And uh, 69 have been fulfilled, and one is yet unfulfilled. So we know that, you know, when we see the Jews coming back into their national homeland, that the prophetic narrative is being advanced in a way uh, that we haven't seen for truly millennia uh, since Jesus walked the earth first time. And then, uh, obviously, when we meet him in the air and then we return with him, we'll see, again, a flurry of prophetic uh, fulfillment happen during that season. It's fascinating to see over the course of history and these attempts to wipe out the Jews and uh, to crush Israel since its reconstitution, and yet God has miraculously protected Israel and will again. Yes, he will. And, you know, when you look at Zechariah chapter 12 through 14, you see uh, a repeated phrase of some 16 times it says, in that day, in that day. And it's talking about that specific time period known as the 70th week of Daniel for the great tribulation. And the Lord even goes as far to say that he will fight as he fights in that day against all the nations that gathered against Jerusalem. And, and Rob, I think one of the most significant things we're seeing right now uh, is a, a precursor to what will ultimately be fulfilled during the tribulation. And that is the mass uh, return and focus and rising anti-Semitism on that one little strip of land that constitutes some 8,800 miles, uh, square miles of the Middle East that uh, has become a burdensome stone to all peoples, ultimately leading to the place and time where the whole world gathered against Jerusalem. And that, that phrase there in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3, that we're gathered uh, means to assemble to destroy. And we've been watching and literally uh, a period of, of less than 120 days, we've watched the world go from kind of a laissez-faire attitude toward Israel to a global anti-Semitism. So I think the march has begun uh, on the way to the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. There were other things and signs that Jesus said to look for as we approach the end times or the end of days. What were some of the other things? Well, you know, it's interesting, Rob, because, you know, I think, as you well know, you know, there's a lot of uh, Bible critics out there who especially look at what I like to call the, the preamble to the Olivet Discourse, which is Matthew 24, 3 to 8, 
the way he talks about just these naturally recurring events that happen throughout the course of history. Uh, there's always been people claiming to be from God, you know, false Christ. There's always been wars and rumors of wars, national and ethnic tensions, pestilence, all these things. But I think the important thing for us to remember is that Jesus was answering a specific question uh, Mark's gospel tells us asked by four of his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And he mentioned and used the phrase, uh, I think most Bibles translated the beginning of sorrows, but he used the phrase, the commencement of birth pangs. So he's answering a question that was asked about signs of his coming and the end of the age. And the fact that he incorporated that particular phrase, uh, the commencement of birth pangs, indicates that there's going to be a initially gradual, but then intensifying of these things that have always occurred uh, in the course of history. And I, I believe we're watching all that happen now. And, and, you know, Rob, if I could, one interesting thing that we see the word, there's a lot of talk about the increase in earthquakes. Yes. But the, the, the Greek word that he uses uh, that's translated in most Bibles as earthquakes, seismos, is not limited to... Uh, geological events. It can actually be translated also as a gale or a tempest, uh, meaning atmospheric events. And, you know, we're watching uh, the earth right now just getting pounded with weather anomalies uh, all over the place in, in various forms from, you know, radical heat. Incredible. I mean, right here in California, yeah. where I'm at, we've had just monstrous waves and storms and uh, highly unusual things, anomalies, if you will. You know, we're watching things that have always occurred increase in frequency and intensity. And I think those are part of the signs that he, he gave us to watch for uh, when we're in the latter part of the last days. Barry, one of the things that's it's sad to behold, but we see it happening before our very eyes, is the fall of the church and this kind of crumbling of, of what was the backbone of our society. Tell us about the prophecies that foretold this and what we should be expecting in, in coming days, weeks, and years. Well, in Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about the coming of perilous times. It's curious that he starts with a phrase that uh, is very uh, indicative of the days in which we live. Yeah. Uh, he said men would be lovers of themselves. And we've got such a self-consumed society uh, in our world today. And then he went on to describe, you know, the, the, all the characteristic or character flaws, rather, uh, that make times perilous and uh, haters of God, traitors, and all these other things that we're seeing manifested in society today. And then in chapter 4, it's interesting, Rob, I just taught on this uh, last Sunday. We've been going through uh, the pastoral epistles. Paul talks about, in chapter 4, what I think we need to recognize is what he deemed to be extremely important to communicate to Timothy, because they're the last recorded words of the great apostle uh, that were ever written down. So uh, he's facing his own death. And one of the things he tells Timothy is preach the word for there's a time coming where people won't put up with sound doctrine. And that's one of the major things that we're looking at today is that uh, much of the church today is preferring fables that word can also be translated as fabrications, things that people make up. God wants you rich and God wants you healthy and you know, you and I both know a uh, wonderful, uh, my dearest friend of 35 years, uh, a, uh, a surgeon, a retired surgeon, uh, loved the Lord, one of the most godly people I've ever had the privilege to know, died at 59 years old. 
Mm. He, he was a man of faith, and he didn't have a lapse of faith, so God took his health. It was just the normal course of life. So I think, you know, this, this health and happiness and this misdirected focus, I think, is one of the things that is causing the church largely to be trampled underfoot by men and uh, rather than being the, the purifying and, and preserving influence it's meant to be. I'm curious, Barry, what you would say to people who are in churches who seem to be on the edges of the or the periphery of uh, turning away from the word. I mean, some people are, are inclined to stay and try to save it, and others just want to flee and find a, a Bible-believing church. And what would be your counsel? Rob, you know, the interesting thing that, about what you just said is uh, as I travel with my friend Amir Sarfati, we teach all over the world prophecy conferences. We hear the same thing. It doesn't matter we're in America or Canada or the Philippines or Australia, the most common comment is, I can't find a Bible teaching church. What do I do? And one of the things we always encourage people to remember is that fellowship is a critical part of uh, our, our Christian existence. We need one another. We need to be together. And as long as the church uh, is not heretical, uh, just blatantly heretical, you know, teaching just crazy uh, off the charts kind of stuff. Getting your hearing, it might be in a topical format, but you're hearing scripture and those kind of things. You need that fellowship aspect and then supplement with online teaching. Don't let that be your primary source of teaching. So it, it's a battle today. And I, I can't even tell you how many times people with tear-filled eyes have talked about, I just can't find a church that teaches the Bible. Or behind that, the second comment most commonly heard is nobody teaches on prophecy. So it's something that uh, and I've told people over the years who were saying, oh, I got a job opportunity. You know, it's in another state. We're getting ready to move. And I will always tell them the same thing. Go check out the churches before you change the job, because that's the most vital uh, aspect of your, your health uh, spiritually is uh, having a good good church. So you got to invest the time, and um, there's still good Bible-teaching churches out there. But the interesting thing is they may not be using all the bells and whistles, so to speak, uh, that we see many of the big mega churches using today. And not that a, being a mega church means you're off. It's just, you know, there's some good, solid, smaller churches out there teaching the book and a pastor laboring away to uh, reach his community and uh, you're going to have to look hard to find it. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues with Pastor Barry Stegner in just a moment. Associated Press award-winning journalist, Rob Schilling. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Shillingshowmedia.com will take your project from conception to completion. Shillingshowmedia.com is reasonably priced and highly professional. Need a website for your business? Visit shillingshowmedia.com. Need a video created or edited? Visit shillingshowmedia.com. Have a photography or graphic design project? Visit shillingshowmedia.com. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Visit shillingshowmedia.com. That's shillingshowmedia.com. Shilling Show Unleashed. We return now. Our guest is Barry Stegner. The book is 
the time of the signs, a chronology of Earth's final events. I want to go to this one because this is really the centerpiece, at least it is for a lot of people. It's the rapture. Explain what it is and what we know about it. Well, Rob, the rapture is a catching away by force. And, you know, one of the things that people often argue uh, about the rapture and then the counter to that is we don't find the word Trinity in the Bible. And people say, well, we don't find the word rapture in the Bible, but we actually do. If you read Latin, you'll find the word rapturos in the Vulgate, uh, the Latin translation of the, the New Testament. They both mean the, the word uh, rapturos and the word Arpazo translated as caught up uh, in the New Testament. They're both talking about the same event, and that is the snatching away by force believers in Christ who are alive at the time, meeting the dead in Christ in the air to forever be with the Lord. You know, one of the things I think that's important for us to remember, especially with the rapture deniers, is that it is a, a, a necessary component uh, for the structure and the integrity of Scripture, because the the whole scenario changes gears in, in the, the fulfillment of the 70th week of Daniel, and, and the church wasn't present for any of the first 69 weeks. So since Daniel was told in chapter 9 that 77-year periods are determined, and that word can be translated as carved out, for your people and the holy city, or the Jews of Jerusalem, God is going to turn his attention exclusively to the nation of Israel, finalize their discipline. There'll be a third of surviving Jews at the end of the tribulation that look to the one whom they pierced and mourn for him. So it's of necessity uh, that the church be removed, uh, the third temple to be built, the abomination of desolation to be committed, uh, constructed rather, and the, the church has to be taken out of the way and Paul even says in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that until the power, the hindering power of the Holy Spirit through the church is taken out of the way, uh, the lawless one cannot be revealed. So again, it, it's a biblical necessity. So it is the instantaneous, supernatural translation of living human beings into the eternal realm by means of a supernatural agent. That's how I like to describe it. It might be a bit wordy. It points us back to Old Testament precedents that we have of the rapture of the church. Uh, we have Enoch, uh, who had a testimony. Hebrews tells us that he pleased God, so God took him. Now, the word took can be translated as to catch away. He was snatched away as a living human being because he had the testimony that he pleased God. And we have that same testimony through Christ, not through our own merit or our good works, but through Christ, we have that same testimony of being pleasing to God, having been reconciled to him through Christ, Christ's blood. And then we have Elijah, uh, another man with uh, a powerful ministry that uh, was caught up and taken into the realm of the eternal by the Lord's means, by means of a supernatural agent. So that's what we're really looking for. It's a prophetic necessity that the pre-tribulation rapture happen in order to stay consistent with the balance of our interpretation of Scripture. The War of Ezekiel, you spend a good amount of time in the book talking about this, and uh, there are some questions about who specifically might be involved in this, but there are some that we know with a fair amount of certainty because the names are the same. So tell us about this war and when it might take place. 
Well, Rob, that's one of the major developments that tell us we are nearing the tribulation period. I personally believe that it's likely that the Ezekiel War can start before the rapture. The rapture happened during it, and then uh, it ends with God supernaturally intervening and fighting as he fights uh, and eliminating those adversaries. The interesting thing about it is if you go back to the Table of Nations, you see a list of the descendants of Noah, and you'll find many of the names named in the uh, Ezekiel scenario in chapters 38 and 39 under those ancient names. We have a lot of great research on where these particular descendants of Noah settles, which tells us the geographic areas. And the majority of the names that are listed there are in relation to modern-day Turkey, which makes sense. It's, you know, a region where, you know, we see the mouth of the Euphrates River is birthed out of there and, and uh, you know, the other things that are associated with Bible prophecy and just historical elements of the Bible itself. When you've got Turkey and you've got uh, Libya's name by name, Persia, which is obviously modern-day Iran, and then you've got, and, uh, some Bibles call it uh, Put and Kush, and uh, you'll find the word uh, Ethiopia, uh, which is not related to the modern nation. In antiquity, Ethiopia means the area directly south of Egypt, which is Sudan. So you've got, you know, here you've got these radical Islamic nations all allied together. We've got two of them, Turkey and Persia or Iran. Both have a military presence on the northern border of Israel, the very direction that God will put a hook in their jaw and draw them down from. Now, the wild card is Rosh. You know, the modern, for, for years, I think C.I. Schofield popularized Magog being Russia. But Magog, by definition, is the mountainous region between Cappadocia and Media, Media being Kurdistan. So Cappadocia is in modern-day Turkey. You know, we've got a, a geographic marker there which tells us Schofield as wonderful as uh, his uh, Bible was um, and the study notes and all, uh, Magog is not Russia. It's more related to Turkey. And again, you know, if we have Rush, which uh, Dr. Mark Hitchcock and others have uh, viewed that as representative of Russia, which is a possibility. But the other interpretation, the old King James interprets or translates Rush as a noun. Uh, like chief or head. Russia is kind of the wild card, but, you know, the relationship between all these nations and why Russia could fit in that scenario, even though it's not predominantly Islamic, is uh, the economic relationship. They're all energy-related products-producing nations. So that would bring Russia into the mix. So, But again, you know, Rob, we've got uh, Russia, we've got Persia, and We've got Turkey, all of the military presence in Syria on the northern border of Israel. And uh, there's a relationship between Russia and Libya. And there's a relationship between Russia and Sudan. All the players are lined up. So that, that's a pretty interesting development uh, as it relates to the last days. And there will be, in the wake of all of this, a man uh, rising up known as the Beast or the Antichrist. How will he manifest himself, and what will be the indicators that this is the man the Bible speaks about? Well, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, where we see this uh, rider on the white horse, which, you know, the white horse is uh, what Jesus is going to ride on a white horse in Revelation 19 when he returns. So the white horse has symbolic meaning. You know, the, the horse uh, speaks of conquest and 
you know, we've all heard the uh, the story, you know, Jesus rode on a donkey uh, into Jerusalem because the donkey symbolized peace. In that day, if a general or visiting king would ride into town on a horse that meant a war horse specifically, that meant he came to conquer. So here you've got this guy riding into town, riding onto the world scene with a bow in his hand. There's no mention of any type of munition. It doesn't say bow and arrows. It just says a bow. Interesting, if you were to read uh, the Genesis narrative about the days of the flood and the post-flood era, where God hung his rainbow in the sky, if you were to read that from the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Septuagint, the word in Genesis translated as rainbow and the word bow in Revelation 6-2 are the same Greek words. So that gives us a precedent for a bow representing a covenant. And we know that the Antichrist is going to establish a seven-year covenant uh, with Israel and many peoples. He is going to bring about a pseudo-peace, and the world is going to gather behind him. And uh, it's going to be an interesting season uh, there initially as the world is reeling from uh, the mass disappearance of Christians from all over the world. But, you know, Rob, it's curious that we're watching so much talk about a global governmental system uh, right now, the World Economic Forum, and trying to take control of the world. We've got the United Nations and all these entities vying for uh, global power and pushing for this. Their favorite word today is equity, that uh-huh. every nation is equal. Everybody has the same thing. So the pump is primed, so to speak, for this guy to ride onto the world scene, covenant in hand. There are many uh, judgments that will be coming upon the earth during the Great Tribulation, and they're horrible. Uh, You discuss them in the book, and maybe you could just bring a few out, the things that will be coming as a result of God's judgment on the earth. Well, watching some of the things that we uh, read, especially in the the middle portion of Revelation, you know, the the final, the undiluted wrath of God in uh, Revelation chapter 16 is just, after all the things that we've seen that take place, throughout, you know, men being tormented for five months, wishing they could die, but they can't by these things, uh, demonic uh, forces that are released from the bottomless pit and all these other things and uh, water being made bitter. I believe that, uh, you know, there's a great mountain burning with fire that is thrown into the sea, uh, destroying a third of the ships and the fish or the sea life. I believe that's an asteroid strike, you know, this star Wormwood. You know, even though the, the word is translated as star, we know a star is not going to uh, crash into the earth. Stars are massive and far bigger than the earth. So it just speaks of, uh, a, I believe, of a comet and uh, something that would break apart in our atmosphere. Comets being uh, comprised largely of gas and ice and scattering radioactive isotopes all over uh, the world's freshwater drinking supply. And many people dying from that. And, you know, you see in, you know, Revelation chapter 6, there's a a quarter of the Earth's population dies. Later, you see a third of the Earth's population dies. And then you get up to Revelation 16, and you find that there is great hail, and people curse God because this is exceedingly great. And I've always found that interesting because with the massive number of people killed during the judgments of God, during the tribulation, earlier in the tribulation, under the seals and the trumpet judgments, this one particular form of God's judgment is highlighted 
as being greater than all the others. So, you know, it's just, I always encourage people, we need to, as Christians, rejoice that the great escape precedes the great tribulation. And for people who are unsaved, that they need to come to faith in Christ to avoid all these things. And we should we should want to. I, I always find it curious, Rob, that people mock uh, pre-tribulation rapturists as escapists. Well, we should want to escape these things. I mean, it's nothing, uh, you know, God is not going to send us into this time period. You know, gee, I hope you survive. Uh, he's going to, as he's promised in Revelation 3.10, uh, to the church of Philadelphia, he's going to uh, allow us to escape these things that are coming upon the whole world. So it's just uh, catastrophic and cataclysmic are words that uh, we would throw at what's going to happen during the tribulation, but they fall short of the magnitude of what's going to be happening in that compact seven-year time period. Pastor Barry Segner, if people would like to get a copy of your book, The Time of the Signs, or if they'd like to follow your work online as you travel around the world and spread the good news, would you tell us how we can do those things? Sure. Probably the best way to uh, get a copy of the book uh, would be through Amazon. Amazon carries all my books, as I think uh, Christian Book Distributors uh, does as well. And you can basically get it on any online, uh, any of them on any online booksellers uh, website. For me personally, the church's website is Calvary. C-O-C, Calvary Central Orange County, dot org, calvarycoc.org. Or you can go to YouTube and just type in my name and all the Sunday messages are there. I do a weekly program called The Lineup, a prophecy update every week. And you can find that on YouTube as well, uh, archived there. So, uh, that'd be the best way. And thanks for asking, Rob. You've done a marvelous job with the book, The Time of the Signs, in uh, laying out what's ahead for us, and I, pr I pray that people will be paying careful attention. Barry Sagner, thank you for joining us today on The Shilling Show. Thanks for having me, Rob. Appreciate it. That concludes another edition of The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.